All right. Well, thank you. Welcome to the Prophetic Times and Seasons podcast, where I am your host, Marcus Moore. And I am so honored to have a special guest with me today. And I'm so excited to introduce him to my viewing audience. And hopefully you will enjoy this, this uh, podcast as much as I anticipate it being um, such a great discussion. And so I am I'm grateful to have our guest on here today, and I am eager to get started. So I'm going to start uh, just by um, asking uh, Reverend Dr. Tion Jackson to introduce himself to, to us, uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, yes. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, uh, Marcus, for having me on. Um, I'm Reverend Keon Jackson. Um, Executive Director of the Ebenezer Project and Associate Minister at the New St. James Baptist Church here uh, in New Jersey. Um, I, uh, you probably won't hear a lot of ministers say, but I am unapologetically black, almost black nationalist. Um, so I'm just excited to be here and dive into the conversation. Well, that is a good way to start. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Jackson for joining me today. Um, I am titling our podcast. Um, our topic really will be the call to preach. And mm -hmm. so what I want to do today is to kind of uh, investigate, interrogate um, uh, your journey as, uh, as a preacher or to ministry. Um, and so I'll just be asking several questions to help us understand what that has looked like for you and um, how that might inform even the work that we do in the world collectively. And so we'll get started. All right. So Reverend Jackson, I'm curious to know, first of all, uh, your name, your first name is Keon. Mm -hmm. Is there any meaning behind that? Any particular story behind how, you know, you were named as a kid? Um, my name is Farsi, which is the, um, the Persian language uh, for king of kingdoms or leader of leaders in certain translations. And then Makai, which is my middle name, means one who is like God uh, in, 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 uh, Hebrew, I believe, and then my last name is, you know, <laughs> comes from the antebellum period. Um, but wow. you know, yeah. Um, I don't know if my mom had. Oh, my mom had a friend named Keon, and uh, from what I'm told, he's very successful, and so my mom kind of named me after that. Um, but to get the meaning of it, I actually had a friend who was from Iran or Persia who spoke Farsi. Um, and we were just dialoguing about the Christians there because Persia or Iran was a Christian country at one time before, you know, the it became uh, heavily Islamic. And he was like, do you know what your name means? And I'm like, well, no, well, what does it mean? He's like, well, your name means king of kingdoms or leaders of leaders. and. Um, yeah, so we kind of just dive into that conversation and that has stuck with me. Um, yeah. That is, that is, that's powerful. Um, you know, I have always felt like, um, our names, uh, personally are really important, particularly when you embody its meaning, whether it's mm -hmm. positive or, or negative and how sometimes that can shape 
our lives and how we see the world. Mm -hmm. um, has that in any kind of way impacted how you think about yourself in terms of your identity, who you are as a man, your call to preach? Um, I think maybe not, not how I look at myself. I think I'm very, uh, I'm very insecure in a lot of ways. Um, but I think my undergrad is in philosophy. So I think philosophically, it's something that I constantly daily strive to live up to. Mm. Um, and maybe not my call to preach, but definitely my call to pastor. Um, I think because, you know, we have a lot of preachers that should not be pastors and we have a lot of preachers that should be pastors. So I think um, definitely my call to preach, something that I daily kind of just strive to be a leader, um, a leader or someone that's honest, uh, both privately and publicly. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it has shaped my call, uh, even theologically. Yeah. Wow. And so you were born and raised where? Um, I was born um, in the South, in Louisiana, um, and raised in Newark. Got it. Raised in Newark, yeah. Newark, New Jersey. Yes, Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so what was that like growing up? Um, the first funny part is, is that we grew up in the Ivy Hill section. So a lot of the, uh, quote, bad things you hear about Newark, I never actually saw. Maybe I was shielded. No, well, Ivy Hill is kind of residential. Um, and then I lived in the Forest Hill section of Newark, which is extremely Italian, um, near Bloomfield, New Jersey. So a lot of things, I mean, I heard my friends go through certain things, like, you know, just as an urban kid, you know, but I've never witnessed anything too crazy. So my context of Newark is very different and has always been positive, unlike some people. Um, but yeah, I love, I love Newark. I still love Newark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And, and, you know, I've heard so many things about Newark. I have at least one or two friends that also grew up in Newark. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the South, um, South Florida. And um, I always like to kind of share my journey, um, even again, going back to the, the idea behind kind of understanding the origins of why you may have been given a name like my name is marcus my name means mighty warrior I, I was raised in a household with two parents that um were married that have been married for most of or all of my life obviously but um you know when i think about like my early beginnings um being uh raised in a very middle class neighborhood having gone to private school up until um, high school. I think I've shared this on a previous podcast. There are many things that I encountered as a young kid um, and kind of coming into myself, trying to understand who I was as a man, as a black man, um, being raised in a two-parent home um, that I felt was very um, comfortable and, and consistent, but then going out into the world, experiencing life and in various ways. I'm curious to know what your, um, what was your childhood like in particular growing up in Newark? Yeah, um, my, I grew up in a single parent household. 
Um, and I saw my mother strive daily to be the best mother, father she could be. And we, I think a lot of times, especially in the black community, we have this connotation that mothers can't raise boys. Um, but I, I believe that they can. And I believe, like my mom taught me how to tie a bow tie, right? Um, my aunt taught me how to tie my shoes. Um, my mother taught me how to ride a bike. Like all, all the all the toxic masculinity things that we have, or maybe my mom is masculine, right? That's another conversation. We don't know. I mean, she's remarried, but you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe some people would look at her because she has a short haircut as a masculine presenting woman. Um, but I was raised, and I wanted nothing. Um, and then that, and that wasn't because of her economic bracket. It's because my mom, I think I can truly say, never allowed me to see when we were struggling. Um, now I know different points of times where we were struggling. Like there, there was once that she told me it was one time we didn't have cable. I said, what? She said, no, I went out and I bought a, a multi-disc DVD player and I just kept things on rotation. But in my brain, uh, we, that was cable, right? Um, she was like, you know, it was sometimes where you ate TV dinners. I said, well, I've never eaten a TV dinner in my in my life. She was like, well, I put it on a real plate. So, you know, I, I, I there were a lot of things that I think we went through that my mom didn't let me know until after the fact uh, that we were struggling, but she strived never to let me know that or for that to become my identity. Um, and so... The way that shaped me is in ministry or in my call to pastor and preach, I've always allowed room for women to express themselves ministerially. Um, and so I think that we have to, especially in our churches, in black churches, our churches financially are heavily supported by women. And it is a disservice to them when their church leadership does not reflect that. Um, and so what I've tried to do, whether I was teaching at a seminary or when I pastored my Bethany church, um, always trying to make room for women to express that call, right? Uh, one, because Preaching doesn't have to be a lot of hoop and hollering, putting your leg over podiums. Um, but even if that is the preaching, that can that too can come from a woman. Um, and a woman's perspective of the gospel, I think, is how we all come to Christ. How many women are we connected to that go to church have brought us to church? Um, and so I think that that connotation of my childhood has always been like deep within me right my mother being a preacher my mother being a teacher um how uh how i saw her you know want to go to seminary want to finish seminary you know what i mean and most black men we well we just call right we don't have to go to seminary but when women take that role they they strive for the best it can be um and that's something that we see in mary magdalene all throughout the synoptics and that's something that i think we see in each and every woman wherever they may be called to be yeah wow i love how you acknowledge the imago dei the image of god in in the woman right 
um, and, and how that is expressed in terms of how women have played a major role, a significant role in connecting us to the church, to the gospel, to Jesus in many different ways, even outside of the pulpit. Mm -hmm. um, I love how you also draw connections to the fact that your local context your upbringing, how you were raised by a single woman has helped to kind of give you a unique view of inclusivity as it re re relates to women in ministry. And you know what that also implies in many ways is that depending on your local context, sometimes you know we don't always see the world the same because if we were brought up a certain way, our message, our take on the, the gospel or scriptures can be skewed by, you know, our surroundings, by what we grew up with or what we were taught. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a powerful, um, kind of a powerful uh, way of kind of sharing your story uh, that helps us make, you know, draw those types of connections to how we see the world and how we show up in church and ministry. Yeah, um, you know, um, my aunt said something. She said, when I met my husband, um, my aunt Frances, who, who I love dearly, she, see, I was in the car with her, I think this week, and she said, you know, my husband was so shocked when he dropped me home when we were dating one time. And he was so shocked that I lived in the projects. And she said, well, yeah, I live in the projects and yeah, we have a three bedroom apartment, but that doesn't mean that I have to dress, look like, or have within me the projects. Um, and she was nervous, right? That they were not going to date because of who he was. Um, and they got married. And so I think what you, what you just said really hit the nail you know, Swanahead, I think it's a misconception that because you come from a certain area, you should be X. Um, and when we label people with one stroke of paint, um, but that can be different um, depending on who you talk to. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And did your mom go to seminary as well? Um, she did not. She actually, she actually pivoted. She went to school for education and she's a teacher um it's like even now at her church she teaches discipleship and I, and I think i think she didn't go through with seminary because at the time we were in a church that did not ordain women um and so i think that really discouraged her so when it came time for her to go to graduate school or you know think about that i think she just continued in the education field wow yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh it is amazing sometimes how damaging um, uh, something that is meant to be liberating mm -hmm. can be, in particular when it falls within the hands of toxic um, mm -hmm. carriers of, 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 of those canons of, of, right. of ministry. And so that's interesting. And I've, I've always said, or at least recently, I would say probably more recently, um, hinted at the fact that education is spiritual as well. Um, so even though she may not have gone to seminary at some level, what she's doing is deeply spiritual because she's right. touching the lives of, of young people. Mm -hmm. So when did you get introduced to, to Jesus? Wow. Um, 
That's a good question. So I, I'm going to answer this way. When I was growing up, I always had a love of religion. And I knew that whatever religion I would have picked, I knew I was going to be some type of voice. I knew that very young. Um, so my father is a Sufi Muslim. Um, and I grew up in with in a, in in a weird like dichotomy almost like I, I grew up where I, I I I was at the I was at the library like I was eight years old reading uh, Luther's Book of Discipline like I I mean little little catechism like I was eight you know what I mean I was eight years old reading uh, about Siddhartha Gumta who's like the Buddha right I was eight years old literally eight and I would take those like. Uh, books home and my mom would always have to pay a library fee because I would always I would either reread or I would just want to keep the book um, and this is before like Amazon was really a thing so you, you had to go to the library um, and so I did not know at one point I wanted to be Jewish because I grew up in a, in, a, in a it was a black Baptist church but I grew up in a way where I was like something is missing here like it's just nothing is black right um and so at five years old i think uh from what my mother tells me i actually led my mother to the altar to get baptized like i took her hand and i walked her up and we both got baptized after eight weeks of discipleship um and i think from that era i just i loved religion i loved faith how is it that this this person can be so persuasive that these people come here every single day uh, or every week and they are told that life is going to be good what what is that and something is missing here and that that's always been my thing so i i don't think i was ever introduced to jesus i mean maybe i was but I think I was drawn to Jesus, if that makes sense. Um, because again, I lived the childhood where I was studying Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity. I was studying everything. Um, that's why by the time I went to school, I knew how to read Hebrew. I knew how to read Arabic um, because I grew up with my face in the book. I think part of that is because I was dyslexic in school. And uh, I probably still am. I probably just don't realize it. Um, and I was I always kept my head reading in the book. And so I think I was rather drawn to Jesus than led to Jesus. And I think that that that's unique to me. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm actually dwelling on your your terms drawn versus being led. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm also curious about your curiosity. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your curiosity into the various religions and religions and how you came to the decision mm -hmm. to, um, to uh, choose Christianity over Buddhism yeah. or Islam, et cetera. Yeah, I think the very vague memories that I have of my father, he was very mean. And I, I think that in studying the Quran, because it was attached to him, I don't think it would have worked out. 
because my introduction to the Quran was out of like anger or he was mad. I don't know why. I have to ask him why he was mad, but he's probably still mad. But he's always mad. He's always angry. He's always wrestling. My father's always wrestling with something. My 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 memory is is showing me that. Um and so I remember um there's a passage in the Quran where Jesus heals a dove and it automatically like it 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 goes and it flies. And I think he's with James. I think he's with his brother. And Mary and Joseph chastise Jesus in the Quran for doing that. And when you read about God, Allah, their, their thought of God, God is merciful. God, God is all these attributes in the Quran, but it doesn't show his might, if that makes sense. And so even in the Torah, like, like, you know, obviously in our Old Testament, we split up books, but in the Torah, God is these attributes. I don't think it's until Christianity comes on the scene that God possesses something other than creation. And so I think for me, that's what at eight, nine, 10 told me, okay, this is, this is it. I think also subconsciously, my mom kept me in Catholic school. And so when I when I was you heard me wrestling with the question what something is missing here um, at 18 I became Episcopalian. Because communion was done in a suit. Why right yeah but you just preached that Aaron put on an iPod to go into the temple but you're wearing a suit. Um, or the preaching was the climax of the service mm -hmm. is it right or why don't we as Baptists serve communion every Sunday if every time we gather in church is supposed to be in remembrance of Christ, right? Why why don't so these things are young. I'm young dealing with these things. And then obviously I'm an ordained Baptist, American Baptist minister now, so I came back. But you know, I think that whole time of exploring was what I needed to concretely say I'm a Christian. I think when I was wrestling with those questions, I were I was in and out. And so I think what helped me with that was James Cone. Um, I'm looking at a few of his books. I have old books too, For My People. I don't know if you can see it, it's blurry. But For My People, yeah, I hold it back. For My People, Black Theology and Liberation, those things really helped me see Jesus for me. And I think a lot of those questions was product of me trying to figure out who I was as a man because my father was not always there. Um, and so I think through exploring other religions and then seeing Jesus's power and then seeing him as a colored individual, if that makes sense, drew me closer to what my calling is today. Wow, so when you decided to go to seminary, mm. did you at that point know you were called to preach or was it at that time, just your curiosity and love for religion? Hmm. Or both? I, think I, I think I knew I was called to preach at 19, like concretely at 19. I was still in the Episcopal church. So a lot of them were, you know, urging me to go to an Episcopal seminary. Um, and even within the Episcopal Church, I'm like, you guys have not met the God of your liturgy yet, so I can't really get down with this. <laughs> so, um, but at 19, 
I knew like within myself, like my great grandfather's a preacher. I have cousins that are, I knew that I was, I was called to say something. And I, I, my mom always says, you know, I would regurgitate my pastor sermons in the shower. I would memorize them and I would say exactly what he would say. Um, and so I knew that the Lord, like I, I, I went through a whole season of nightmares as a child, or I would be drawn to get, I kept, I still keep a journal by my bed and I write if I, if I'm woken up out of my sleep. Um, and so I think at 19, I knew I was called to preach. Um, when I was in seminary, I knew I found that, that I, well, no, let me go back. I did a program at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary which is still near and dear to my heart, that's when I found that I, I knew I was called to pastor because that's still, those are two different anointings. Yeah. Wow. Go, go, go a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. So I think to, to, to be called to preach is you have something to say. You have, you, you can, you can articulate fully, and you have wrestled with something theologically and you have something to say, right? Like even though James Cone was a reverend, doesn't mean that he was a preacher. And what I see in like the Episcopal churches, you have a whole bunch of people that are ordained, but they're not necessarily preachers, they're thinkers, right? And so they write books. They write our theology, they, they write out doctrine, they think about, but they're still reverenced, right? They're still called to pastor. I think pastoring is you are called now to act on whatever it is you have said. So pastoring is you have to develop a heart for, for God first, because you could be a preacher and just preach and just rebuke everybody, speak in tongues, prophesy and go sit down. That don't mean you're supposed to be having a storefront. Go sit down, right? That's just you, you're just an evangelist. To, call, to be called to pastor means you are shepherding the people, right? And so even when we look at uh, the Episcopals or the bishop, there was never such thing as a pastor until like the 1600s. Everyone was a bishop at that point. And the bishop was a shepherd. He was with the people, around the people, right? It's not until really like 1054 AD that like elders are created in the church. And then we have bishops, that's a separate thing. But but like you to be called a pastor means you're called to shepherd whatever community. And you can still be ordained and not be called the pastor. You can be ordained to a certain office. You were ordained, like like uh, James Cohn was ordained to be the professor at Union. Like the AME Church ordained him into that seat because he is supposed to be set apart. But he's not a preacher. You know, James Cohn was a terrible preacher. Um, so you know um, that that's the difference. Preaching is, I, Lord, you're you're putting something on me. Anyone can preach. You you put something on me, right? You put something on me. Um, but where you're called to preach is is something that ordained life, you know, sets apart for you. Yeah. That was good. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 was good. I'm I'm still uh letting that marinate. You know, sometimes you just gotta let something marinate. Yeah. It it also makes me think about um, you know, so many of us who who might feel the compulsion to preach at an early age. Mm -hmm. 
and sometimes the desire taking us into places God may not necessarily always call us into right. just because we may have a message or even a prophetic word. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this particular podcast is designed to think about um, how we reflect and think on, think about prophecy. What do we think about what it means to be spiritual and, and, and prophetic in today's times? There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. There are a lot of people claiming the Lord said. There are a lot of people preaching from the pulpit. There are a lot of people pastoring that, you know, end up actually resigning or giving up the pulpit because they can no longer take the pressure. And some of that is because they were never called to do that in the first place. Right. Um, and then, of course, there are other reasons why things like that happen. But you, um, I think you make a very important point that there is a difference between knowing you are called to preach versus pastor or called to pastor and preach or even just called to teach. And that may be in a seminary or uh, you writing a book. I think that's a very powerful point. Right. And that's why you have a lot of preachers who are not hoop. Like, I'm not a hooping preacher. Like, I don't hoop. I don't. First of all, it takes so much energy. Um, I know that I'm a teacher. Like, when, when if you ever take a spiritual gifts test, it'll tell you what you are. You know innately what you're like. I'm, I like to break down things. And I think it's because of the, I, I preach a lot of my questions. Um, and I think that that's why I'm a teacher. Like, I mean, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm, I have the preacher voice, but I'm really breaking down things line by line. I'm not a hooping type of person, but I know that I'm called to pastor, right? I think what you have is preaching has become in the black church, such an art form that we automatically think, oh, he's gonna get that church. He should be at this church. The church, no, no. Uh, every church does not need a pastor that's hooping and hollering, right? Some churches need a shepherd that's going to teach and be heavy teacher. And some churches uh, get more out of the Holy Spirit when someone is uh, hooping and hollering. And you gotta, you gotta understand that calling. Uh, the, the, my spiritual father, Doctor Wood, says it so so well. He says, um, the Lord sends preachers to churches. He sends churches pastors. And so I think in the in the black church, it becomes an art form. That's why you can play around. You can be preaching fleshy the whole service, but it sound good so the people go crazy because we don't have enough teachers in the pulpit that allow people to break down, I think, these things that we grapple with and, 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 and wrestle with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so would you consider yourself a, I'm going to come back to this term I just kind of introduced a few minutes ago, which is pro prophetic, the term prophetic, mm -hmm. right? And what it means to be prophetic. Would you describe yourself as a prophetic preacher or prophetic teacher um, or prophetic in uh, just in general, right? Like if, I'm curious about the mystical side, for lack of a better term, of your journey in terms of your encounter with, with God or your encounters with, with Jesus over, over the course of your, your journey. What does that look like? 
Yeah, so I I would definitely say, and this is probably so arrogant, um, but I I would definitely say I am prophetic, uh, not because I'm giving that to myself, but because I've been told that, um, and but I think prophecy is different. Um, prophecy is not, or the prophetic wave of ministry, it does not happen one way, right? Um, I spent a lot of my pastoring in Presbyterian churches, even though I am Baptist ordained. The Holy Spirit moves in those churches, but through enlightenment. And so for them, that is prophetic, right? Um, when you said, I'm letting that marinate, because that was so good when I described preaching and, and pastoring, that was a prophecy. Pro prophecy is the revealing of something to the natural. Um, and so I think that when we when we declare prophecy, and I'm not saying you do this, but like in general, when the black church declares, declares prophecy is, oh, Marcus, you got on headphones right now, ha, and you just fall out. It's not, it's not, it's not that, right? Or, you know, in three days time, the Lord is gonna knock down all the brick that's behind you and put up slate. Shut up, sit down, right? Um, prophecy is the revealing of something that the Lord has already CC'd you in an email to. And so when it comes to prophetic preaching and teaching, when you look at certain like the AME church or the Baptist church traditionally, um, the way the Pentecostal church moves in prophecy is very different than these two churches move in prophecy because pr prophecy has always been for African-Americans through the preaching. Um, and so um, I would consider myself prophetic because I've been told that um, my encounters with Jesus Christ have been very weird. Um, I think people who are thinkers have trouble with faith. People who are thinkers have trouble with with taking the Lord at his word. Um, and we see that with with St. Thomas, right? Uh, the Lord allowed room. Let, let me go back before I go there. We think that when prophecy is spoken or even when the Lord, uh, who is inherently prophetic, talks to us, uh, those who struggle with receiving it, we think they have lack of faith. And that's not true. Thomas had to explore Jesus. Thomas asked Jesus questions and we call him doubting Thomas. I don't think he was doubting the Lord. I think that Thomas, and when you study St. Thomas, like outside of Bible, he wasn't, he was a philosopher. He was an academic in nature. Um, and even, if, even when you look at the people he was sent to, the, the Asians in India and in Iran, they were heavily influenced by Greek and Egyptian philosophy. And so that's why it's not an accident. I'm going off on a tangent, just stick with me. That's why it's not by accident that he was the apostle to the churches in India, Asia, Iran, because of the way that he thought. And so when he appears to the disciples, Thomas missed the first appearance because he wasn't with them. Which is why when everyone's saying, Thomas, Jesus has come back, he's like, no, he hasn't. Jesus appears again, and he says, well, if that's you, allow me to put my finger in the hole that you were pierced in. Jesus allows him to search his person while also extending a blessing to those who believed without having to see. 
we miss that so much. We think that Thomas is wrong for touching Jesus. No, Jesus allows him and invites him to do that, but also telling the people who didn't have to do that, you're still blessed. And so for me, my background is in philosophy. I've always, I, you know, my upbringing, always reading, always curious. I ask a lot of questions. I'm so annoying, right? Um, and I think the way the Lord has to talk to me is through dreams, because then my mouth is shut. The way Jesus has to talk to me is through a prophet, because I can hear something and I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't know. And literally, I, I swear to you, literally someone who I don't know or someone who's been praying for me that I didn't know will say, will call me up or see me, hey, you know, the Lord, I don't know why this is on me, but do you did it? And I'm like, well, yeah. Well, do you uh, do blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Well, did you say X, Y, Z to the Lord? Yeah. Well, then the Lord is saying the Lord has to communicate that to me that way through dreams or through prophecy, because my brain is wired to be very analytical, ask all these questions. And so for me, like I didn't have this heavy encounter with God and I'm in the room like this. I, I didn't have that. Um, I think we were praying for my great grandmother one time and the Holy Spirit hit me. It was like this fire in my chest. I began to speak in tongues um, and I got scared. And so there was a season where I preached against speaking in tongues. And it wasn't until again, this man, I was at a church service. He don't know me. I don't know him from Adam's dog. And he said, you know, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah. And he was like, are you the pastor of this church? And I said, yeah, I'm the pastor of this church. I was sitting in the in the front row, it was a youth night. So I wasn't up there. And he was like, okay, you know, I enjoyed the service. You have a lovely church, thank you so much. He said, um, you know, the Lord is calling you to leave academia at, at the academy. And he's requiring you to be more spiritual. He said, in fact, the Lord wants you to have balance. And this was two years ago. So I think my mystical journey started two years ago. Like I'm, wow. I'm literally married to a Pentecostal, which is something that I, I'm very highly critical of the Pentecostal church. So I think the Lord played a, played a joke on me. <laughs> and she has required me, you know what I mean, to be more spiritual. And so I think that's why I can clearly articulate what a pastor is versus what a preacher is versus what my call is as a teacher preacher to the academy and to churches. I, that was a, such a long answer. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I think that was... That's profound. I also think it's very interesting that in particular, that journey started with you more profoundly when someone spoke into your life prophetically. It was kind of a seed that opened a door for you to begin to explore something uh, more deeply and differently. And so have you seen any difference in terms of your spiritual experiences, mystical experiences over the course of the last two years that maybe were not necessarily there prior to? Definitely. I mean, I, I okay, let, let me say this. I've been on this journey with uh, my church 
um, uh, talking about lifestyle. And it's something that happened to me to, to be more holy. And teaching that holiness is not how you dress, but more so how you conduct yourself, who you are around and what you eat. And so uh, both both me and my my and a, and a few friends, we all just became a vegan uh, during that time that I received that prophecy. I mean, now I'm 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 I'm, well, I'm not fully vegan. I'm vegetarian. I can't give up bread or cheese, but you know, plant based. And I think since that has occurred, I have become more spiritually in tune. I don't overthink when the Lord talks to me anymore. The Lord says something. Uh, do I have my days where I'm like depressed? Like, okay, Lord, how is this gonna happen? Cause I don't see it. Yes, that always will happen. But in terms of overthinking it and being anxious, I no longer deal with that. Um, the Lord tells me something, okay. I pray on it within myself. I try to prepare myself as much as possible for whatever he has released to me. And we're moving forward. Um, and I think once I received that prophecy of this balance thing, that how to be balanced, Keon, you are educated, you have everything on paper, everything is great. Okay, but that's not where I'm requiring you to be. And then when you read that scripture in, 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 in Seth Corinthians, where he says, you know, such were some are you, but you were sanctified. And then that's the, the passages b uh, below that, you know, holiness, your, your body is a temple. And then I said, well, Adam and Eve were vegan. They lived in a garden. So if I I have to be careful what I what I eat, what I what I what I and then I started to notice, and I'm not saying everyone should be vegan or vegetarian, right? I'm not saying that. This is just particularly for me. I did not notice how sick I felt when I would eat chicken or or beef or even fish. I was a pescatarian for a minute. That started to get on my nerves. I felt sick. And I felt like my judgment was clouded. And so when I switched to plant-based living, when I tell you that obviously, yes, I've lost weight, obviously inflammation in my body and mucus is not there, that's, that's physical. But spiritually, when the Lord tells me something, I hear it, I hear it clearly, and I don't overthink. And it's something I think that was there, like when the Bible talks about how God walked with Adam, I think that's more than just physically. I think that was spiritually. I think that that is with what he was eating and consuming. And I'm, I know I'm going real mystical here, but like, I, you know, like things we don't talk about biblically, like, I, I, you know what it is? Holiness requires us to give up something that we don't want to give up. I love fried whiting. Oh, my God. I love mac and cheese, but is it the best for me? No. And I said, okay, I have to push back that because this is where the Lord is calling me. And even right now, I'm, I don't have, I mean, I'm, I'm an associate minister at a church because I teach full time, but I'm applying to certain, to, to, to certain churches that I feel drawn to. And even within that, um, the Lord told me, 
The reason why I had you start this particular diet is because you had to be disciplined in something. So that way, spiritually, you become disciplined. So, yeah. That's that's powerful. You know, I'm, and I'm, I'm actually thinking about kind of what you've already shared in terms of your formation. Um, you, you mentioned being raised by a single mom. You mentioned that your dad was Muslim. Um, you have spent years in seminary. You, you know, you went to seminary um, as a student and even before then you were always reading and now I'm listening to you talk about um, the discipline of eating and all of that obviously has helped to kind of shape you and it's just to me interesting to see how sometimes our backgrounds help to make us who we who we are, mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm kind of thinking about I can see you. Um, you seem to be, when you are convicted um, on something, it's not difficult for you to uh, live in a particular discipline because of how you were shaped and formed, mm -hmm. you know, in particular and thinking about kind of your background. So I, I'm not shocked to hear you kind of go in that direction. I am curious about, in particular, your seminary journey and the fact that you were um, you were called to come to some sense of balance in terms of how you make sense of that and your spiritual journey. Um, you know, kind of describe that, right? Like what that has been like for you and uh, was it, you know, it, was that a blessing for you to go to seminary? What did you enjoy about seminary? Yeah, it was a blessing for me. I was going to continue at, um, uh Pittsburgh but as you know I, I finished at Dallas um and I think that was just the nature of the season that I was in and, and by far I'm not evangelical um at all um and I think that it was it was a blessing to 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 deepen my study right we all think we know everything when we're out of seminary and you get to seminary you're like what what is are you serious because you're connecting like history and that, that's literally what it is and then the languages with what you are trying to you know what you think you love um about the text um and so i think seminary shaped me it changed my jesus a little bit and it made me a lot more radical and critical of certain denominations. And so while I am a Baptist, I critique the Baptist church. Um, and I critique heavily a lot of the independent Pentecostal churches because it, it's just a mess. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a mess. Um, and, and not and, and and I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, you know, some people actually, you know, they they actually say that should not be like people critical of the church right. is is something frowned upon. Um, right. You know, a lot of people. I, I literally just had a conversation with someone the other day, and 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 this person in particular was saying, "How can we critique or criticize God's bride, the church? That's our job. It's almost like a husband." 
um, criticizing his wife in public, and and that can't be. What are your what's your thoughts about that? My so so if if criticizing the church was wrong, Paul would have never been Paul, right? No. Peter would have never been Peter. Paul would have never had that fight with Apollo. Uh, Peter and Paul would never been beefing. Um, you know what I mean? And I'm very, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what is the bride of Christ? Is it the Orthodox Church? Because they are the oldest sect of Christianity in the world. Is it them? Because they have the whole Bible intact. We have fragments of it, like we're still in the antebellum South. So when we I'm say on. the when we say the bride of the church, uh, and, and then also let, 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 let me say that this is going to go somewhere on like Facebook or something, right? So people are going to watch this or I don't know. Uh, what, YouTube probably. YouTube, yeah. So let me just say this. Paul and Peter's church was not Baptist. It wasn't AME. It had nothing. To, it was Orthodox. They were very Catholic. They were very, what we, what we call tradition was their church. They did receive communion out of one chalice, one cup. Uh, they did have incense, right? Uh, they did sense uh, the altar with smoke, sometimes with sage, sometimes with frankincense. Um, they did bow and kiss pictures of Jesus Christ. They did wear crucifixes, even though they did understand that Jesus was not on the cross. And see, see, that's what seminary teach you. Um, so when we say the bride of Christ, I'm struggling because the Gentiles, the church that the Gentiles were taken into was the Orthodox church. And it doesn't split until 1054 AD, the Roman way and the Eastern way, right? Um, so when we come into Protestantism, or even when we look at Anglicanism, which was started because somebody couldn't get a divorce, are we the bride of Christ? Are we going to be raptured and taken with the Lord? I'm struggling with that personally. And so when we deal with criticism, because people cannot take criticism, they frown on criticism. If I say that there is no such thing as a chief apostle, please don't be in your bag. But there is no such thing as a chief apostle. I'm from the theological school that believes that all of us can be bishops. I don't believe that we can be apostles because the apostles, the apostles already came. They were the rock. I don't even consider Paul to be an apostle because Jesus never called him an apostle. Paul called himself an apostle. So, so do I believe Paul was a great church planter and bishop? Absolutely. Do I believe that we all are bishops and shepherds? Absolutely. But are we apostles and then chief apostles? No. I don't believe an archbishop exists unless it's Catholic or Anglican. So when we, when we I, you know what I mean? The Pentecostal church, you guys are wearing Catholic garments and you don't understand what those mean. The only reason why I know what those means is because I pastored a Lutheran church for two years. When you wear a chasuble, when you wear an owl, that tells me, someone who went to school, that at the communion table, it's an altar. You are sacrificing and killing the bread and the wine like they did in the Old Testament. Whereas when I wear a robe, it is either memorial or 
Luther, which is consubstantiation, which is what? These are both bread and body and both wine and blood. And so, but because a lot of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters do not go to accredited seminaries, they are missing out on this information. And the reason why seminary is frowned upon is because also of criticism. No one wants their form of Jesus to change. And so that's why I said earlier, we have not met the God of our liturgy. We have not met the God of, of, of our church. And we're so fixated on the God of our circumstance. If the Lord is a provider to you this week, when you go to church, you're only praising the provider God. You're not praising Yahweh. You're praising who God was to you, right? Um, so I think that all throughout the epistles, Paul is critiquing and correcting the church. And what we do is we, 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 uh, cannot fathom not being right. That's another thing I'd say about my spiritual journey. When I became plant-based, uh, when I, um, my church actually closed down in the, you know, I was pastoring two churches in the same denomination. One of my churches closed down and I really had to say, okay, Lord, I have to give up the right of being right. I don't need to be right. And so I think when it comes to criticism in our churches, we don't want to just at least hear somebody out, which is why our society is hypersensitive because, oh, you, you, you talk about me. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the condition upon which I see you in. You struggling with your sexuality, lifting up your vestment like it's a skirt to shout is not proper in the house of the Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you thinking that marriage is going to fix your sex addiction, I snuck on work. You dating a woman, but you're undercover is not gonna work. You struggling with your sexuality, your spiritual father corrected you about it. So you leave, start a new church, wear long lace felt Catholic garments to dress like a woman really, and thinking you masking that with toxic spirituality is not gonna work. But what do we see in Pentecostal churches who are not organized, like the Kojic or the Kogop or AIM or, you know what I mean? What do we see? We see a lot of that spirit in there. And I'm not saying that to be gay is wrong. That's not my theological conviction. My theological conviction is to be undercoverly gay and then condemn it publicly. That is not of Christ. That's not of Christ. And that's what we see, especially here in the New York area, a whole bunch of storefronts and liquor stores together, and y'all go to church and nothing is transformed, and then you blame God. That's not that's not kosher. That's not kosher. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's all you can say. That's all you can say. We, we have a lot to learn. So are we are we the Lord's bride? You got folks, Marcus, and I know you know because we both black. You got a birthday service? Did you not read the book of Amos? Services have become festivals unto yourselves. I am sick of your worship, the Lord says. But you having a birthday service for you? What are we doing? 
And say what you want about these white folks. They got a lot of problems. They ain't throwing themselves no birthday service. Like, like we do church. So it's a cultural thing. So, <laughs> oh man. Ooh, that oh, man. is yeah, man. You you are you were saying a lot. You were saying a lot, and a lot of what you just said really does need a lot of unpacking. And it does. Yeah, we have to do another podcast. Yeah, we, we, we'll have to yeah, do that's yeah, that's 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 a live podcast. That's yeah. You know what I what I appreciate about um, your communication on this podcast is that it offers another perspective, mm. um, possibly to some listening, a different perspective, a perspective they've not heard before, coming in mm. particular from a preacher, a pastor, and and you know in a very pure pluralistic world and i would even dare say a very pluralistic church we we often see the church as monolithic and it absolutely is not um and so i i appreciate perspectives because even how we approach the scripture is not from a very, it's not binary, it's not from a monolithic perspective. We don't all approach the scriptures the same way. We don't interpret it the same way. In many cases, we approach it from how we see ourselves and how we see the world. Um, and so we bring ourselves to the scripture and how, and, and so that in many ways informs how we, how we communicate. But I love, I just love how, uh, I love what, everything you just said. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I'm curious who who are some of the who are the who are the thinkers, the preachers, the prophets that I mean, you've mentioned James Cone and, um, you know, I'm familiar with James Cone. I've read a little bit of his stuff, obviously, having gone to seminary myself, um, Howard University. Let me put that plug in there. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, what theologians, what thinkers, what prophets have been most um, impactful in your life? Um, Kelly Brown Douglas, she's an Episcopal priest. Uh, she's written uh, Stand Your Ground. She just came out with another book. She's the Dean of Union Episcopal Divinity School at Union Seminary, which is attached to Columbia University. Uh, Willie Jennings, I think he's at Yale. Um, who yeah. else? Ebony Terman, who's also at Yale. Um, Renita Weems. Uh, love Renita Weems. Oh my God. Oh Me God. Too. Uh, Teresa Fry Brown. Um, we already mentioned James Cone. Uh, George Yancey, who is a existentialist philosopher, I believe at Emory. Um. And again, again, my, my background is in philosophy with a minor in classical music. So I, I, I'm very just old in my, in my, in now I approach things. Um, for preachers, Otis Moss III, uh, Otis Moss Jr., his daddy. Uh, we can even put Renita Weems in there. She's a preacher theologian. Uh, Howard John Wesley. Yes. I listen to him every Sunday while I'm getting ready for my service. Um, 
Joseph E. Woods. He's at St. Philip's Baptist Church in Hamilton, New Jersey. Um, who, who, who else? Myself. <laughs> it's always refreshing to replay some of your videos and to just listen to you. You're like, oh my God, you're smart. Wow. Uh, you said that, Jackson. That's all right. Um, so um, I always I always make time for that. Um, I'm I'm trying to think because I don't want to get off the call and and, and shoulda coulda woulda. Um, uh, Charles E. Booth. Oh man, God rest his soul. I mean, I mean, he he thought in a way. You see me getting stressed out. I mean, he just he just. Oh my God. Uh. Yeah, I think. I'm trying to one uh no, I don't really Judy Frenchers Wolf Williams, who's also at Howard Howard John Wesley's church. Uh I I used to listen to Martha Simmons. Uh Dr. Martha Simmons. Um Tracy Blackman, she's from the UCC church. Yeah. Jeremiah Wright, I always play him on YouTube. Um, Michael Curry, who is the first African-American presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. Um, and I think that's about it. I listen to a prefle of people. Um, most of them, you know, either a lot of them have not defined where they are, liberal or conservative. You kind of just guess. Um, some of them do. Um, but uh, I think the only evangelical preacher I've listened to is T.D. Jakes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's hard to say he's evangelical, but he is. But, you know, but it's, it's hard because it's, it's almost like pop-pop, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, th those are the preachers that I listen to. And they, they have shaped a lot of my sermons. Wow. Uh-huh. That is that is a long list of yeah. phenomenal people. I, I recognize several on, on this list, but then there are mm -hmm. a few for sure I'm not familiar with. I love Howard John Wesley. He's brilliant. Brilliant. He's absolutely oh, brilliant. And I actually just got introduced to William uh, Willie Jennings probably yeah. two years ago. Yeah. He, he, his, he wrote a book on, on whiteness. Or yes. I can't remember the, yes. the full title, but yeah. Uh, it's it's a tan book. I think I have it. Yep, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you should Weems. also listen. Uh huh. No, yeah, no, Doctor Weems. Oh, I was gonna say you should also listen to uh, his talk on if white people can be saved. Mm. He did that at Fuller Theological, which is a evangelically white seminary. He did not care, um, and the consensus was no. <laughs> Which just shaped my theology, uh, but I, I don't know if you want me to go into that, but it has definitely shaped my theology. That, that That's for the next podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I, I'm interested in definitely unpacking that. I think that'll be a yeah. good discussion. But definitely Dr. Weems. I, Dr. Weems is a woman, um, womanist scholar. First African-American woman to graduate with a PhD in the world in Old Testament studies. And she's so humble as if she's not who she is. Oh, yeah, she's most of these people are humble as if they're yeah. not who they are. 
Yeah. Um, oh, Jerry Carter. Jerry Carter, he is at Mount Calvary Baptist Church, um, PhD from Drew in, in worship, liturgy, and homiletics. Brilliant man. He's at Mount, uh, uh, I think it's just Calvary Baptist Church in Morristown. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think, and I'll make this probably one of my two last questions for you. Um, okay. I think that we are in a prophetic moment yes. for the church, but in particular, I will say, and again, I'm not speaking monolithically, but in particular mm -hmm. for the black church. What do you have to say to that? And where do you see us headed or going in the future? And you want me to be honest? I, I, I want you to be honest. I'm going to I'm going to put an if just so it's, it sounds nicely. If we do not take heed to why we are in a pandemic. There will be no more black church. And what I mean by that is, yes, you will have black congregations, but there will be no more black church. Uh, the, 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 the fulcrum of the seesaw that was the civil rights movement was the black church, the thing that kept it balanced. And I think after the civil rights movement, we have annexed the Holy Spirit to just shouting and speaking in tongues. And because a lot more evangelical theology is out there, we have a lot more silent black preachers who have endorsed politicians instead of speaking truth to them, who have allowed politicians to speak from the pulpit for remarks. And I think, honestly, the pandemic came because the Lord is trying to call particularly the black church back to old school prophetic ways, a focus on teaching and preaching and allowing the spirit to move in that order, not allowing the spirit to move and oops, I forgot to say my sermon or oops, Bible study is canceled. I think teaching, preaching, and then allowing the spirit to move. And, and that's rooted in scripture in Second Chronicles. Before the priests were allowed to do anything, Hezekiah said, let's bring the dagah, the Hebrew word, dagah, the filth out of the temple and prepare ye to bring sacrifices to the Lord. So I think that the leader who is Hezekiah was reteaching us holiness and so i think the black church has to get to that um so i think that if we are not taking heed to why we're in this pandemic there will be more variants which will cause a lot of our members to die our older members and i think if we do not do proper millennial non-colonial outreach we will die i really 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 think that right now the black church has a lot of houses and churches unto us or I see a lot of bishops with these regular pimped thrones. I'm like, what's wrong with a pulpit chair? Why do you have to be, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't know about you, but when I sit in the big pulpit chair, I feel small, which is what, which is what the intent of them are. When you sit in a bigger throne, why are we doing that? You know what I mean? Um, so I think the Lord is calling us back home 
to answer your question. And if we do not take that heed to come back to the Lord, there will be no more black church. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Anything you wanna share in terms of what you're doing um, with the listening audience, how they can connect with you? Yeah, you can connect with me on Instagram. Uh, hold on, I always forget my username. Connect me on Instagram at Pastor K-E-I-O-N and the letter J, um, or on Facebook at Keon Jackson. Um, and my Twitter, I always forget about Twitter. Uh, my Twitter, I know Marcus is like, this is so slow. Um, and my Twitter is at Keon, K-E-I-O-N, Makai, M-E-K-H-I. So my Instagram is at Pastor Keon J, and my Facebook is at Keon Jackson, and my Twitter is at Keon Makai. The quickest way to like interact with me is Instagram and Facebook. I'm a, anyone can message me. Um, my sermons are up there. Um, I also wrote a book called Onyx uh, with two colons, a Black Thought Essays that's on Amazon. For I think like ten dollars, I'm writing another book in conjunction with Barnes and Noble. I have not thought of a title yet, but it's something on W. E. B. Du Bois's double consciousness, and I brought that to two spiritedness, and I talk about how white Christians usually introduce themselves as just Christian, saved by grace through faith or whatever it is, and how black people have always had to introduce themselves as black and Christian. Um, and it doesn't have a title yet, but it should be out, I want to say, by next December. It's about 355 pages long. I'm working with an editor. Uh, so look out for that in Barnes & Noble. It'll be on Amazon as well. So yeah, that's really about it. And I appreciate this, and I hope I'm back for more. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. That was amazing. I appreciate yes. you taking the time to to spend with me today. I think uh, I learned a lot. My audience will enjoy it. And um, I look forward to us doing a future podcast. And thank you to, to my audience for joining me uh, on the Prophetic Times and Seasons podcast. And uh, I look forward to you guys joining me continuously. Feel free to reach out. Again, my name is Marcus Moore, and I appreciate you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.